Zacchaeus, quickly come on down because today I have to stay at your house. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this one is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, please be seated. In a season of gratitude that we're celebrating, what a fabulous passage to look at. This so happens to be the last story that Luke tells as he has Jesus traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem. It's important to him. It's the pinnacle of a theme of Jesus relating to wealthy people. And it's a story of a man who's not living up to his name, a man that nobody likes, and in the midst of a hostile crowd sees one smiling face. And his life is made new because of the one smiling face. Jesus went through Jericho. Now, of course, Jericho is famous from the Old Testament. It's where Joshua went through. They, God wiped out the city. But it got rebuilt. And it was a, a very, very important and wealthy city in the ancient Near East. It's right at the, the, the top of the Dead Sea where the Jordan River runs into it. And if you were traveling to Jerusalem from up north, you would usually take the Jordan River Turnpike and you would come to Jericho and then you'd hang a left and you'd go 16 miles up to Jerusalem. If you were coming from Syria, if you were coming from uh, Moab, probably the, the uh, wise men from Matthew would have gone through Jericho because it's where you had to go to get to Jerusalem. Therefore, the Romans very wisely put a pole place there. And so it was a city that, it was a city that saw a lot of money going through. And in fact, King Herod, remember the one who tried to kill baby Jesus? This is where he had his summer palace. And if you go there, you can still see that palace and it is fabulous and it is beautiful. And behold, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is short for Zechariah, which means in the first place he's Jewish. And which means in the second place that his parents wished for him to be, here's what the name means, a righteous one. Zacchaeus, short for righteous one. But this man was not living up to his name. And here's why. And he was a chief tax collector. And then a repetition of the pronoun. And he, lest there's any question about it, was rich. Now, here's how chief tax collectors got rich. The Romans in the provinces, they taxed heavily, but they couldn't be bothered collecting the taxes. So they turned it over to the private sector then what you would have, would you would have a chief tax collector 
who would hire people to go out and collect taxes for him. So it becomes like a pyramid scheme. And the way that you would make your money as a chief tax collector would be just sitting in your office waiting for, people, for tax collectors who were working for you to bring the money that they had that they had collected. And the way they make the money is they collect the tax and then they add a surplus for themselves. And then if they're working for a chief tax collector, they would add another surplus for the chief tax collector. And the other way that the chief tax collector would make money is it's indicated later in the passage where Zacchaeus says, if I have defrauded anybody, oh my goodness. This is how you really line your pockets. Because the chief tax collector would say, you're bringing figs in from Galilee. Well, we already have a fig trade here in Jerusalem, so there's going to be a little surtax for your figs coming in. Or, you know, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's a very dangerous road. And I can't really promise you, wink, wink, that you're going to be safe unless you give me a little extra on the side. So it's through extortion, through bribery, through fraud, through protection that a chief tax collector becomes a rich chief tax collector. So imagine the scene, and I'm, I'm totally making this up, but I just want you to get the feel for this. Jesus travels down with the 12, and one of the 12s is a tax collector. His name is Levi or Matthew, and another is Judas. Not a great choice, but Judas is the one who has the money box for the, the disciples. So Jesus sends Levi, Matthew, and Judas ahead to negotiate paying the tax for use of the, of the River Jordan Turnpike. Well, it's, it's five denarii per person to go down. I'm totally making this up, okay? But let's say it's five denarii per person to use the Jordan River Turnpike. So Levi, Matthew, and Judas go to the tax collector who works for Zacchaeus and says, what do we owe? And he says, 150 denarii. And they're going like, Levi goes, no, I can do the math. There are five of us plus one. Five plus one times 12, that's a little bit over 60. So 60 is what we ought to be paying you. And the tax collector says, well, yeah, but that's not how it works. <clears throat> you have to give, well, we're going to give you a discount. Because this Jesus guy that's traveling with you, he's kind of special. So we're not going to charge anything for him. So just going to charge for the 12 of you. So that's 60 denarii, right? And Peter's going, yeah, right. I'm sorry. Um, Levi goes, yeah, that's right. But he says, well, you have to give me 20 because that's my cut. That takes us up to 80. And then I owe another 20 to Zacchaeus because that, he's my boss. And you know, it's not really very safe getting from Jericho up to Jerusalem. Remember the story that Jesus tells about the, about the, uh, the Good Samaritan. That happened on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. It was famously not safe. So it's like, wink, wink, I can't guarantee your safety unless there's another 50 thrown in. So what should have been, could have been 60, now is 150. Okay, like I'm totally making that up. But that's the general idea, and that's why Zacchaeus is a rich man and is not considered to be very righteous by his fellow Jerichoans. So 
parade is going to go through town, and everybody wants to see Jesus. But do you think that Zacchaeus, who happens to be a very short man, by the way, do you think he's going to get a break? Do you think he's going to get, a, is, he's going to get like in the, a vantage point to see Jesus? Like nobody is going to make way for him. They all know him and they all loathe him. Think about, think about all the accusations that one party is making about the other party's candidate this year. That's what everybody thought about Zacchaeus. <laughs> Just add it all up. And that's Zacchaeus. He's hated by everybody. So nobody's going to let him out. Nobody's going to give him a front row so he can see it. Nobody's going to offer to put him up on their shoulders. But for some reason, he's heard about this guy and wants to see him. So he runs ahead. Now, why would he want to see him? I don't really know, except Jesus already does have a reputation for hanging out with sinners, and among those sinners are tax collectors. So maybe he's going like, maybe there's one person on this planet, maybe one. So he goes, he goes and he climbs up the sycamore tree, and if you go to Jericho, they can wink, wink, show you the very tree that he climbed up. <laughs> and Jesus comes by. And he looks up, and he sees Zacchaeus. And you can just see him smile. And Zacchaeus sees this one smiling face in that hostile crowd. And Jesus says, come on down right now. I've got to stay in your house tonight. Well, there's a pretty important lesson here for every one of us. All of us have a, something in us that we can relate to Zacchaeus. All of us have something that makes us worry if anybody's going to like us. All of us have stuff that we know that if people knew it, we would be deeply ashamed and they would treat us the way everybody treated Zacchaeus. And here's, to me, the main point of this passage. No matter what it is that you have to be ashamed of, no matter what it is that you may be messing with, that you know that you ought not to be messing with, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you can never undo even if you feel badly about it. There's nobody in this room that Jesus doesn't love. There's nobody that Jesus wouldn't look up. And no matter what everybody else's face looks like at them, his face will be a smile. There's nobody in either political party. There's nobody on any continent. There's nobody living in a mansion. There's nobody living on the streets that Jesus doesn't love. Jesus loves you. And Jesus would want to do with you what he said he needed to do with Zacchaeus. I want to be in your home tonight. And the second thing that I really love about this passage is sometimes Jesus shows up and he just shows up and says, welcome, 
and makes no demands and lets you figure out what it means for you to receive the grace of his presence. The sinful woman in chapter 7 comes and anoints him with costly oil, touches him in public, which is something a respectable woman would never do, and Jesus allows her to do it. She wipes his feet with her tears, and he acknowledges that there is an awareness of a deep forgiveness of sin that makes her love him much, and he allows it to happen. Now, the rich young ruler, or the rich ruler earlier in this very, uh, in this very section, Jesus says, you need to sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. So he's not afraid of telling you what you need to do. And, he, and when it comes to money, he's not really impressed by you just doing your duty. He tells a story also in this section of the publican and the Pharisee. Publican is another word for tax collector. And the Pharisee is all proud because they fast twice a day and they tithe, which every good Jew should be doing. But Jesus is not impressed with that legal exactitude. But the tax collector who has the heart that is humble, that says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the one who gets right-wised by Jesus. And this man, Jesus simply demands, you let me come to your house. That's all he asks of him, asks of him, let me be with you. And the next thing you know, Jesus is praising him as being a son of Abraham. And you know what it was that made Abraham special to God? It was simply this in Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him for righteousness. Zacchaeus gets his name back. Zacchaeus gets his name back just because he accepts the smile on Jesus' face for him and welcomes him into his own home. That's all Jesus demands of you. Accept the smile on my face that's directed to you and let me come home with you. That's a pretty good deal. Take the deal. I beg you, take the deal. It's on offer for each and every one of us. And then the third thing that I love, there's nobody here he doesn't love. Sometimes he just comes and he doesn't make any demand other than you let him be with you and you be with him. And then the third thing is, sometimes he lets us figure out that there are extraordinary things that we can do with our money in our relationship with him. Zacchaeus realizes that as a Jewish person, he is called to care for the poor. Those whom God had called out of the slavery of Egypt had been given a special obligation by God in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, to care for the poor. Now, the way the law was written is every year you're supposed to give 10% to take care of the church. I mean the temple. Well, actually, I mean the church. You think about that. 
then the government was permitted to demand another 10%. Well, think about that one for a while. And then every third year, there was yet another tenth to be given <clears throat> that was just for the poor. So that means a, an additional about three and a third percent of your income was supposed to go to the poor. But what the rabbis commended and said was really righteous behavior was 20%. And Zacchaeus says 50%. Now, like if you're at the Bill Gates level, <clears throat> if you give up 50% of your wealth, you still got a lot. So you probably still got a lot. But half, half of anybody's feels like it's a big hurt. But 50% of what I got for the poor, exceeding the demands of righteousness. And then, you know, all the people, all the people that I have defrauded, extorted, gotten money out of for protection, the law says I have to give it back and another 20 or 25%. I can't remember right away, and I'm not going to make you wait while I look it up. But you're supposed to give it back and then another 20 or 25%. I'm going to give back four times what I've taken from people. Now, when I was a kid, I remember stealing a pack of bubble gum and getting home, and my mom knew that she didn't buy me bubble gum. So she said, Reggie, where did you get that? And, and I stumbled and stammered and finally acknowledged that I took it. You know what she made me do? She made me take it back and just and give it back to the grocer and apologized, and he let me off the hook. What I should have done was bought another pack and, like, cut it, and, get, well, actually, I probably should have given another back because, you know, once you've cut it up, then... But, but, but Zacchaeus would be like, I'm going to give it back, and then I'm going to give you four more because I'm so grateful for the forgiveness that's mine. And the... The wonderful thing about this passage is we're simply told that this is what he did. We're not told this is a new law. We're not told this is a new obligation. We're simply invited to look into this man's heart and get a glimpse of what thank you looks like. We're getting a glimpse of what it is to be loved when you know you didn't deserve to be loved. You just want to say thanks the best way you can. And for many of us, our money is going to be one of the most important ways that we can say thank you, Jesus. The passage makes it perfectly clear that my money doesn't buy my ticket to heaven. My ticket to heaven is simply Jesus smiles. I say that smile is for me Thank you, I'm coming down out of this tree, and yes, sir, you're welcome to my house. Then beyond that, my money can be a part of the building of that relationship. My money can't buy my way into God's favor, but the money that's kept him at arm's length can now be a means for him and me to fellowship, and for me to further his interest in building his kingdom and helping the poor 
be not so poor, and for undoing damage and wrong that I've done in my life. Now, we've sent you pledge cards. We'd like to ask you to think about your relationship with this church in the next year. And I think what this passage would simply ask you to do is to go sit before the greatness of the wonderful love that has been poured about upon you. And in the words of my good friend Steve Brown on the radio, you think about that. To him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think to ask or even think to ask. To him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in you all, in us, the church, now and forever. Amen.